Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. In this episode, Michael Hynett explains how to get started as a supported living provider. He talks through the steps and processes you need to go through. This is invaluable advice for anyone considering getting started as a provider or for anyone with an interest in understanding supported living. Hi, Michael. It's great to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad at all. Um, we, I know we've done an episode before, but for people who haven't um, listened to that one or don't know about you, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Michael Heinert. I'm the director of Qualis Solutions and, and the different Qualis companies. Um, we are a group of companies that are totally centred around supporting people into social care, growing, making social care better in general. And predominantly, we do lots of, of startups, getting them into predominantly supported living. Fantastic. Um, and we're going to uh, talk today about a question that you get asked all the time by people, aren't we? So so the question that you're saying is, um, is what? What is the question you're always asked? So we... we... On a, on a very, very regular basis, we have people call us up and say, I want to do supported living, but I don't know how to do that. So the, the first part that we explore with them is what do you mean by supported living? Supported living over the last few years has, has become this all encompassing kind of banding of various different types of supports. So the first thing we need to do is, is explore with them what, what do they mean by supported living, which of those sections of supported living do they want to be part of, because there's a slightly different route into each, each of those things, which is going to change again in the future. In, okay, so it's, so it's exploring exactly who the tenants are they want to work with, who the yeah. people are who need supporting and really understanding that to start with. Yeah, so in, in, the, in the first instance, it's is it going to be the 16 plus age category where it's currently unregulated which in the near future is, is going to be changing it's going to be Ofsted registered um, or are they looking at adults and then even in the adult side of things are they looking at um, people that don't need personal care or people that do need personal care so that's the first first kind of exploration that we do in the conversations that we have with them uh, that then leads us on to do you need a CQC registration or don't you need a CQC registration and that obviously is a big difference in the way that you you set up a, an organisation to support people, whether you need that regulation or not. Yeah, it, so th- there, there are some local authorities, predominantly in the south of the country, that will expect you to have a CQC registration, even though it's not needed at all. Um, but you don't get referrals if you don't have that. They kind of use the CQC registration like a kite mark, which isn't what it's for. Um, If you do go through the the route of of having the CQC registration and you're delivering 16 plus properly unregulated services, you're not delivering personal care, therefore CQC won't inspect you anyway, and eventually you'll lose that registration. I'm hearing also that CQC are not very keen on even proceeding with registrations if people aren't looking like they're not delivering personal care they won't if you're not going to be delivering personal care then they're not going to if you're delivering um the care so when you look at the 16 plus element the within the Ofsted guide to registration there is a section in there that says what which which is care which is support if you tick a number of those sections on the care side of things what you should be registering then is a children's home not providing unregulated services 
And then the same for if you're supporting adults, whether they need personal care or not is, is that big difference, isn't it? Yeah, and that, that also depends on your area as well. So when you're looking, what, one of the things, so one, once you've made that decision as to do I or don't I need a CQC registration, there's also the, the next step from a business perspective is where are my referrals going to come from? So how am I going to fill the, the beds within in the home that I'm looking at? Really, the 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 commissioning process in most local authorities isn't the way that supported living should work it should be people are found that do want to live together if they want to live together then a provider is found and then the provider works with the housing association rsl to find a house but most local authorities don't have the time to do that anymore so what's what tends to happen is some sort of brokerage system where individuals come out independently Therefore, you've got to set the house up first and then bid for individuals one at a time. That's not really the essence of what proper supported living is. But if you want to grow your business within supported living, you kind of have to engage with, with that kind of process. That's frustrating, isn't it, for people who want to deliver it well and want to look at, you know, giving tenants the support of and choice of who they live with. It, it is, yeah, and, and I suppose from a from a CQC point of view, they expect a very, very clear separation between housing and care. Um, if you're having to do that, you're having to engage with either usually a private landlord and 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 work skirting around the, the legalities of, of that. So, so you, so if you're looking at setting up, you've got to make that decision about whether you're going to require CQC registration or not. That's the first thing that you would ask people. And then the next thing is establishing where they're going to get their referrals from, whether they're going to come from the local authority. And if they are going to come from the local authority, how do they go about getting those? What do they need to do? So if, if, when, you, when you're doing your mapping exercise for, for where, my, where, my, where my tenants and where my clients are going to come from, there is an element of private private payers um, people that manage isfs and personal budgets that kind of thing but and isf just explain what that is for people who individual service fund so it's it gives people that have support needs on their families if they're involved in it more control around how how their funding is used for that person's care um there is that element it's nothing like it is in domcare from a private payer perspective but predominantly your funding is going to come and, and your referrals are going to come from local authority or the CCG. The, the CCG tends to be more complex people, which from a business perspective, more complex, generally a higher hourly rate, but obviously that brings risks. Um, and also because of the, the industry that we're working in, we're working with people's lives. So when we're dealing with people and, and we're talking to them and they come, come along and say, we want to do complex care because we know it's more, more of an hourly rate, we explore their, their history, their organisational structure, their experience, and if they can't do that complex level of support, then we advise them not to do that complex level of support because the consequences for the person they're supporting are, are, are incredible, but also the consequences for their business are, you know, it could ruin your business if you fail with somebody that's very, very complex. It, and it's very, very difficult to get right, isn't it? We're talking about people yeah. with such, such high complexity in their in their support needs that you need a lot of experience generally to deal you with. Do. So, you so if you if you have someone coming to you who's got not a lot of experience, maybe they've worked as a carer in an organisation, or they, you know they've got a little bit of support experience, um, you would suggest for them to start with lower level support requirements, would you? Yeah, I think again, though, from a from a CQC perspective, if you don't have experience of managing the regulated activity 
then you're not going to get registered. They expect you to, to have that experience of managing personal care within the community. So if you've done DOM care but not supported living, it's, it's very difficult to, to get that registration in the first instance. If you've been a manager or an area manager within supported living and then decided you want to do supported living for yourself, as long as you've got the financial backing, so whether that's savings or whether there's an investor, then from a registration point of view, that's a, a much clearer process. Um, and then once they come, once they've got through that process and they're looking for the for the referrals, it's then a case of finding those referrals. So there's a few different ways it can be done it can be done through direct relationships and speaking and, and to the local authority and getting spot placements um, most local authorities have some sort of framework in place now and very rarely go off it if the framework's open brilliant it's a case of finding where the framework is hosted so that's that can be your pro contracts is probably the main one that's used but there's a few different ones there's a sprock system there's the intent system so finding where your local authority is hosting their tenders is is critical how and would then, you find that out where how would you find where it's hosted google, google. Okay. It's, it's it's as simple as Googling your area and tenders, ignoring the adverts that are trying to charge you to see tenders, they're all free. Um, finding the local authority, there'll be something on there that says view current opportunities, work with the council, something like that. Click that link, that will then take you to the actual hosting platform, which will either be pro contract, practice plaza, or intend. Um, and then it's finding the tender on there, which again is, is it's a little bit of a savvy search sometimes they don't call it quite what it is um, there'll, there'll be a supported living tender hidden within community opportunities or something like that so there is a bit of a, an art to finding the tenders um, we do put out occasionally a tender list um, we haven't done it since October because we're just constantly booked two months in advance with our tenders uh, I do keep saying I'm going to do it but the time just is I, I'm terrified of doing it because as soon as I do it I get an influx of people wanting tenders doing and I, I don't want to turn people away um, so once you've found it and 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 I suppose that the, the other bit of a caveat is not being committed to a particular area so if you're in an area where you don't qualify for the tender so some of the tenders will require that you've got to have a good rating with cqc which you can't get because you don't have clients therefore they won't inspect you um, you then have to be flexible are the frameworks available around you can you travel can you operationalize something that's an hour away so you've got to be flexible depending on whether you can be, you know, that the worst case scenario is somebody's already committed to a house, which obviously you've seen things that I've done before, I don't commit to a house first. Um, and the traps, you know, they, they have no choice but to either just keep pestering the local authority or look for out of borough placements, which from an adult's perspective is something that most local authorities don't like. And again, CQC as part of the registration will ask questions about whether you will be focusing on out of borough placements or not. And again, it's, it's a, a bit, bit of a no-no from CQC as well. That's really interesting. And that, again, highlights this issue that I think we've spoken about. I've definitely spoken about it with quite a few guests about, you know, when in the process to get a house. And, and it's not right at the beginning, is it? It's, it's no. you've got these other things. You're, you're here. Michael's talked about everything else and not the property, you know, getting the property yet. You know, The, the property comes when you know you can fill it 
So ideally, you want to be working with three or four people that want to live together to find them their forever home. If that's not the way that the local authority commissions and you have a brokerage system, it's then a case of getting yourself onto the brokerage system, seeing where people want to live, and then sorting out the property. Ideally, you want to be bidding for somebody that's got a long enough time that you can transition with them and you know take them to view properties. I, I wouldn't, if I was if I was looking for another house, I wouldn't just move into a property. I'd want to go view that property. I'd want to maybe view other properties. It wouldn't just be the first property that I'm offered that I'm expected to live in. So it shouldn't be like that for the people that we're going to be supporting if we, if we want to do supported living properly. People should have an option to to view where they're going to live. The idea is that it's going to be a long-term home for them and it's it's their home. So you should be they should be fully involved in that process, making choices on you know what the decor is going to be like, what the carpets are like, which bed they pick, going bed shopping, all that kind of stuff. All the things that we take for granted when we're looking at what, where we're going to be living, the individuals that we're going to be supporting should also be involved in that process as well. Absolutely. And that's where the brokerage system is really difficult, isn't it? Because I speak to some providers who say to me, they won't even accept me on the framework unless I've got a property, yeah. you know, and how so i say to them how do you know what kind of property you need and they're like well i don't really you know it's it's really difficult isn't it it, it is and that there's 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 very you know you, you're stuck in a catch-22 situation there that you don't know if you're not if you don't have a property on the system you don't see where the referrals are um my advice in that kind of situation is look for a different framework um you, you're either going to have to commit to a property which it can be you know lots of unscrupulous landlords out there will see the word supported living and the, the, the rent immediately doubles mm. uh, I, i've got a provider that's paying three grand a month for a three-bedroom property and that's going to be lha rates they're never going to cover it so there's going to have to be a, a, a supplementary payment from the care company and the profit margins on Kerr aren't massive anyway, so that they're not going to make any money from that service at all. And whilst profit shouldn't be the focus, it has to happen because if a business isn't profitable, it doesn't. It's not sustainable. No, absolutely. And you need some money to for repairs, and you need money to, you know, for staff and everything else that you need. It's yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? And I, I think it's a really valid point about, you know, and and that also falls back to the landlords, doesn't it? About they're doing the due diligence on the providers to understand actually, how, are you in a position to take referrals? Have you got someone ready to yeah. to go into this property? You know, well, one of the things that what that we do when we're working with registered social landlords, and one of the things that they expect is some sort of commitment from the local authority that they need that service mm. and whilst that's brilliant because you know that it's going to be filled and it's 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 less of a business risk getting that commitment from the, the commissioners is, is incredibly difficult mm. especially as a new provider i mean even part of the cqc registration process is to get some sort of commitment that the, the local authority need more providers in the area but if you look at, at any market research or any tenders that are, that, that are out there, if you look at the statistics of placements, most of them are looking for, the, you know, they've got a backlog of, of people that need additional uh, provision. They're either in provision at the minute where it's not quite right for them or they're, they're, they've been looking for a while and nobody's able to pick it up. It, the, the, the system at the minute isn't working as it, as it should be. It's, it's much more difficult than it should be, really. So is there a way that the, those new providers can get that kind of 
sorry, there's a back thing, weird noise there. Is there, is there a way that the providers can get that kind of assurance from the local authority? Some, some will, some won't. It's a case of finding out who to speak to and then consistently emailing them with, you know, this is this is what we're able to offer, this is why we've set up, talking to them about who and what you are and, and hoping that that's listened to. Um, the other option is one of the things that we do is if we get onto a tender, and, and we've, we've done it for a few other businesses that we work with, but it's something that we do in our own supported living business, is if we get onto a framework, we try and sit down with the local authority just to properly introduce ourselves and talk to them about where their pinch points are do they need apartment complexes is it a case of single services that kind of stuff and, and to start forming those relationships it's when we when we do tender for people so we tend to have a lot of repeat business so we might support somebody through the cqc registration phase and then we won't hear from from them again they'll have a go at doing a couple of tenders themselves. They might not be successful, they'll come back to us, we'll write the tenders for them and we work with them to pull the essence of their business into that tender. Um, then they'll be successful, they'll have a go at doing the mini bid part of it with the brokerage system. They won't be successful with that, so they'll come back and we'll teach them how to do that as well. Um, and it's all about how you represent your business. If you're not representing yourself as a, as a, as a professional and, um, educated business that knows what it's what it's doing if you're not showing that you're reading the the assessments that come through as part of the mini bids and you're not presenting your finances in the right way then you're not going to be successful if you're if you're thinking i'm going to undercut everybody else and i'll bid 13 pounds an hour that's going to ring alarm bells to the local authority because that's not sustainable and they know that likewise if you're bidding 25 pounds an hour why would they pay £25 an hour when everybody else is charging £17 an hour? So there's a lot of due diligence to be done when you are putting your costings together for the local authority, whether it's at the tender part or whether it's at the, the mini bid section. It's so complex, isn't it? And there's so many different moving parts to pull together when you're setting up as a new provider. And I think, you know, this this conversation really demonstrates all of those different pieces that, that are really key. And I think... Um, yeah I think you and I both speak to a lot of providers who are trying to get started by themselves think like you said think they can get through things and then re reach a lot of stumbling blocks and I think they waste an awful lot of money don't they a lot of the providers that I've spoken to they do yeah I think that there's lots of I think we mentioned this last time there's lots of people that will tell you what you want to hear and I think one of the reasons why we've been such a successful um, consultancy companies we want so if you if you come to us with a stupid idea, we'll tell you it's a stupid idea. Um, but it, it works. People know exactly where they stand with us. We we line things out in steps. We make it simple. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. If you want to involve us in that process, you can do. If you don't, you want to have a double go yourself, then by all means do that. It's like with tenders. People will come to us for tenders and they're not cheap, but we're very successful at writing them. We'll say, do you know, pay for us to do a couple of tenders. And then you'll see the, the way that we structure a tender. We'll see, you'll be able to see how the answer references against the specification. You've then got everything you need. You obviously you can't copy and paste from one tender to another, but you can then structure the answers in the same way to answer other tenders yourself. The only difference with paying us for future tenders is time. We can write a tender in a week that it might take somebody that's not an experienced tender writer three weeks. 
And in that time, they could be doing three weeks of relationship building, assessments on new individuals. So it's it's about managing your time properly and, and investing your time into the bits that you're good at and paying somebody else to do the bits that you can't do instead of just beating the same drum over and over again. You know, if you're if you're repeatedly making contact or trying to make contact with the local authority and it's not going anywhere, look somewhere else would be my advice. And I think the other thing, again, having spoken to lots of new providers in this space, is that not everybody who's saying that they will help you set up and acting as a consultant is sadly the right person to be helping people. And and I've spoken to people who've lost a lot of money. So if you are looking to work with consultants, do your due diligence, check them out, talk to people that they've worked with and really understand that whether they are giving you the value and they actually know what they're talking about. You know. Yeah, yeah, there's there's. You know that there's it's easy enough to do due diligence on on people these days if, if people have a linkedin profile if they've got you know if they've been an established consultant they should have some sort of reviews speak to people within within your you know your networks and your community you'll get feedback and listen to that feedback just don't just go to the first person that, that says yes i can do this um, and also, you know, try the different prices. If somebody's saying they can do something for 800 quid that everybody else is saying is two and a half grand, then there's a reason for that. Just because somebody did one CQC registration five years ago doesn't mean that they're going to be able to meet the current spec. We've been doing CQC registrations now and supporting people with CQC registrations for about three years. And in that time period, the expectations from CQC have changed easily six, seven times. So you've got to be on the ball with that process. Amazing. There've been so many great tips and bits of advice in here, Michael. Thank you ever so much for that. We'll put your contact details in the show notes so people can find you if they want to. Um, And yeah, thanks very much. Brilliant. Thanks. Thank you for listening today. If you want to find out more, please go to my website, www.lisabrown.uk where you can download a free guide to supported living property.